Hey, podcast listeners, if you've ever listened to Write That Down with Fumi Saito and Justin Nipper before on our Patreon, you may have also heard this episode before. It's the first of a three-part episode on the history of the UWF. Rather than just get to part three in our new and free podcast feed, we're going to post the episodes in order. So this week, you'll get part one, and next week, you'll get part two before the third week when we post the brand new part three. And before we get to this show, I just want to let everyone know about Fight Game Media Network Plus, a.k.a. the Patreon. If you enjoy what you're about to listen to on the Fight Game Media Network, check out our Patreon at patreon.com front slash fightgamemedia. We have three specific Patreon-only shows, and you'll soon have monthly bonus content to listen to from your favorite shows, including the one that you're listening to right now. And it's just five bucks a month. So if you want to support your favorite podcasts on the network, go to patreon.com front slash fight game media and you'll get more content than you can shake a stick at. Okay, patrons, welcome back. This is Write That Down. We're on the Fight Game Media Network. I'm Justin Nipper of Fight Game Media and Wrestling Observer, F4W Online. I'm back here. He's coming from Tokyo, Japan. He is the leading author and historian on pro wrestling, MMA, or whatever you want to call it these days, Mr. Fumi Saito. Hello. Hello from Tokyo. So we're going to dive deep into a kind of gray area of pro wrestling, especially a very oh, important. It's a big, big theme that uh, I don't think we can cover the entire story in one hour episode. So I'm looking at it as a part one, what mm-hmm. UWF was, or as a whole, what we know as professional wrestling, where it was from, where it is now, and where it's going in the future. Mm-hmm. Really that big. So you mentioned that <laughs> we have to go back to 1972 to really start to understand the whole story. I suppose because when Inoki, Anthony Inoki, um, you know, broke away from the original Nippon Pro Wrestling JWA in 1972, it was his goal that he was telling, I'm going to make wrestling uh, that the, our real pro wrestling, he was calling. And that's why it was King's Road, huh? Mm. I mean, like a strong, the king of sport. I'm sorry, king of sport, strong style. And had Carl Gotch help him. It was a break. It seemed like it was breaking away from, like you said, King's Road was the other side. It was the more right, traditional. Right, right. 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 The king of sport mm-hmm. and strong style instead of American style or what they used to call it, showman style. Mm. <laughs> so this is the opposite like a theme and antithesis, thesis, antithesis. Mm-hmm. At the end of the century, it looked the same again, though, you know, but the, that's why it's so hard where to start. Where do we start? The Carl Gotch, God of Wrestling, the, the most legitimate pro wrestler ever. Mm-hmm. And God of Wrestling in Japan, we all believed in. I still believe in Carl Gotch. I watched Carl Gotch when I was third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade. Carl Gotch against Billy Robinson. Carl Gotch against Anthony Inoki single match. Carl Gotch and Luthes together going against Inoki and Sakaguchi tag team match. And he um, trained people like Satoru, of course, Inoki and Sakaguchi, but the Sat- Fujinami, Riki Choshu, 
original Tiger Mask, Satoru Sayama, Akira Maeda, Nobuhiko Takada, all these people, all the way to uh, Masaka Tsunaki and Minoru Suzuki of Pancras. And even our friend Debbie Malenko in the end, all the uh, way. Yeah, well, he didn't feel comfortable training women, no. So mm-hmm. it was just a few sessions at the Malenko school. He mm-hmm. showed up at the Malenko school in Tampa, Florida to train then UWF guys, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, and Carl Gotts is someone who lived a really kind of unique career. Uh, he had a unique career. He really went all over the world to kind of learn what he was bringing to Japan. Yeah, because he was born in, in, in Belgium, you know, Belgium, you know, the Antwerp, Bel- you know, Belgium. And he's a German. And mother, you know, the family is Belgium. And he's a product of wartime, the, the Holocaust survivor. And uh, yeah, then started wrestling profession in Europe. Then moved to Wigan, England. Then he went, you know, he went into the snake pit, Billy Riley gym and relearned his submission style. And he lived in Wigan for eight years. Then finally moved to, you know, from England and visa, you know, you know, his immigration visa and the whole thing. He moved to Montreal, Canada, then immigrated into America finally in 1960. Now, yeah. was, was there a time he spent a little bit in India? A uh, little bit, but not like living there, you know, just like Billy Robinson had tours there. Uh, what you call professional wrestling in India is very different from what we know as professional wrestling, you know? So that's another subject for another day, <laughs> you mm. know? Yeah, Carl Gotch. And you actually, you did a movie on Carl Gotch in the 90s. Yeah, Kamisama, yeah. Mm. What is Kamisama for those who don't know what Kamisama means in Kamisama Japanese? Kamisama means God. <laughs> God, yeah. So he's really, he's the God of of professional wrestling. Wrestling, yeah. Not in Japan, but the, his whole, whole being of it, you know? Everything that come out of Carl Gotch's mouth, it sounded like, uh, you know, a poet or what's that? Uh, like a wisdom. Yeah, oh, so much wisdom. You know, that uh, the fools only hurt, uh, no, the truth only hurt fools. But I found out the world is, for, you know, for the fools or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Or like uh, everybody knows the price, but nobody knows the value. Or something like that, you know. Mm, he's like a philosopher. He's so not good though. I mean, mm. I, I'm just talking top of my head, but there's so many of them. You know, what's new is old. What's old is new, or something like that. I mean, just keep coming out of his mouth. You know, I should take and like note. So I made a sh- you know short film, short movie, and uh, that's available. But that is another subject of another day. Mm. And also, I mean, we still have to get the UWF. UWF. Okay, that's a initial UWF, the first Universal Wrestling Federation, right? Yeah, let's but, fast forward to the 80s, yeah, 1984, yeah. 19... But uh, nobody remembers this as a Universal Wrestling Federation. It's a UWF, just the initial, much like your NWA or NWO or WWE today. Mm-hmm. Nobody thinks WWE as re- more world wrestling entertainment, right? Right. It's always WWE. Kind of like your Major League Baseball, it's MLB now, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, the initial sticks and it's UWF that it, that became probably the biggest movement through uh, throughout mid to late 80s into early 90s and all of a sudden died, you know? Mm. Yeah. 
So who of the wrestlers, who would you say is the kind of spearhead of this UWF movement in the 80s? They, it, was a lot, it seemed like it had a yeah, lot to he, do with New he Japan. Was, yeah, it was actually wasn't the movement first. In uh, there was a like a coup coup d'état within mm. New Japan Pro Wrestling Company in summer of 1983, okay, and pr then President Antonio Inoki, the Vice President Seiji Sakaguchi, the head of the sales and the promotion Hisashi Shimada, well, those three uh, top guy resigned uh, momentary, you know, like for temporary to 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 some something happened and they had to resign and they have to reconstruct the whole new japan thing okay then shima left the company or fired or something and then original tiger mask satoru sayama quit and uh, it was mysterious coup that the much detail was hidden you know and the following summer uh the spring i'm sorry of 1984 UWF as Universal Pro Wrestling was formed as a spin-off, originally spin-off of New Japan Pro Wrestling. Like a sub-company? So, yeah, like uh, you actually it's under <clears throat> originally though, under new, big New Japan Pro Wrestling's umbrella, and they were going to run two different buses. Mm. New Japan Pro Wrestling. And Universal Pro Wrestling, UWF, original UWF. Let's run two buses, like Raw and SmackDown, you know, under WWE. Like two different brands, two flavors. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that version of U original UWF had young Akira Maeda, Russia Kimura. That, uh... From uh, international wrestling, he was the big star yeah. there. Yeah, but under New Japan, though. Mm -hmm. Akira Maeda, Russia Kimura, Ryuma Go, Grand Hamada, and uh, Fuji, uh, the, still under New Japan, but the Nobuhiko Takada joined, and uh, uh, Fujiwara worked the show too. And the original, this, this original version of UW had a, their, own, their own tour. You know, with people like Dutch Mantel, the, the Bob Sweetan, the, you know, the unlikely American guys, right? Mm. Then had one tour, and the, the final night of the first tour, they had Sumo Palace show, you know, Sumo Kokugikan. It was single match between Akira Maeda and then terrorist Yoshiaki Fujiwara. So you could see they were going to pretend it's a separate company, but why would you let your guy work the show? It's no problem, right? And then everybody knew at the end of that tour that, look, these two companies, this new version of UWF was still like under like a New Japan umbrella or just spin off New Japan. And it was actually, there was a plan to you know, split New Japan into two groups. Believe it or not, this original poster of Universal Pro Wrestling, the very first UWF, the poster they you know, printed, had Antonio Inoki on the poster, Andre the Giant on the poster, Hulk Hogan on the poster, and Maeda and oh, Dick Murdoch, Adrian Adonis. None of those people joined, right? Obviously. 
Mm, they were, uh, I think, in retrospect, they all were New Japan talent. At yeah, the time of course, stayed of that course. way. But uh, <clears throat> that uh, when they pitched a uh, business into uh, Channel Eight, Channel Channel Eight Fuji Television, mm-hmm. they were told Anthony Noki is coming to this new company. We are going to have Andre the Giant. We are going to have Andre the Giant, uh, Hulk Hogan, Dick Murdoch. Uh, Adrian Adonis and Maeda and this and and they were going to have Wednesday night eight o'clock television time you know prime time spot. Yeah, I was going to ask: Did this version of UWF ever have a chance to be a or be on television or have a television show? They were pitched, mm. and uh, none of those things happened. Obviously, Inoki didn't you know wasn't going to leave the main main roster, right? Mm. And none of those things happened, and. Akira Maeda ended up being the top guy, which he wasn't all that much of a big star at that point in time, right? Mm. But uh, they went ahead and, and ran their first tour. And they were going to do this angle-like story pr- press conference that after one tour of this union, you know, original UWF, they were going to merge, merge into... Mother New uh, Mothership New Japan again, and they work as a like a like a sub company, you know, working with New Japan and you know, kind of like a merge again into New Japan, mm-hmm. like a political no. maneuvering. But none of these happened, and actually, it was like the New Japan was going to treat all these things as an angle storyline to create like your new faction right mm-hmm. but instead the uh, uh noboru urata the company president of original uwf akira maeda nobuhiko takada yoshiaki fujiwara then uh freelancer satoru sayama or the original tiger mask and his uh, sparring partner kazuhiko uh, kazuo yamazaki they actually get together and say you know what we are running our own show oh let's do it you know it's like now that they New Japan thought they were going to march again, right? And this was 1985, Four. 1984. Four. Yeah. yeah. So 84. I have a question around this time as well. Maeda and even Sayama, they were also appearing in WWF. It was the New Japan deal was. Uh, they, uh, Satoru Sayama, original Tiger Mask, appeared in WWF in New York, 83, 82, mm-hmm. 83. That's it. And, and uh, how about Maeda? He spent a little bit of time there. Was this, yeah, did this have uh, anything to do with uh, what was going this, on? Yeah, that to make people believe this new version, I mean, new company, UWF, independently exists. Going to Madison Square Garden and beat this, some guy called Phil Lafayette or somebody to become very first WWF, UWF International Heavyweight Champion. I see. The, Remember uh, that? Well, I think in English it's just referred to as the WWF international title. I don't think they use the right. UWF. But the name. championship belt physically printed UWF on it, though. Mm. Yeah. Anyhow, that so he he won the title, right? International title in Madison Square Garden. Came back to Japan. Now supposedly you are the star, and you had your own tour. Then you march back to New Japan as like a like a brand. The whole you know, branch, right? Mm-hmm. Within New Japan umbrella. But 
Instead, Maeda, Takada, Fujiwara, Sayama, Yamazaki, with help of Carl Gotch again, they go, no, I'm no, no, we're not going back to New Japan. We are running our shows. So all these, you know, like Inoki angle didn't work. Then he, they really became independent. They ran their own shows all through 1985. On their own, without uh, New Japan's uh, assistance or... No influence. Really... It became truly independent. So the, uh, the subdivision or the faction version of the, all these things that the Inoki and his people designed to run two different buses under the same umbrella, that didn't work. Maeda and his guys really decide to leave and become independent from New Japan. That's the origin of real UWF. Does and that the, make sense? Yeah, I think so. I mean, especially because they even went so far to change the style. general rules and style. Yeah, yeah well, sports they style. Wanted, yeah, that was summer of 1984. I, uh, 85? 84, yeah. Summer of 84. Right when they became independent, I mean, completely separate from New Japan, and they were going to let people know that no, we are not part of New Japan's this big, you know, storyline split. Or people still had doubt. Well, that they're still part of New Japan, aren't they? It's like, no, no, no. They are really going independent, right? Hmm. So they ran two consecutive Korakuen show for the first time with. Sayama's Tiger as that Tiger, the new name, that Tiger. And Kazuo Yamazaki, yeah, uh, no, uh, the Nobuhiko Takada, Fujiwara, Fujiwara, and ta on top, Akira Maeda. They really changed style that night. Two nights at the Korakem, uh, they became what we call Dato Kyok. Da means striking. To means nageru, uh, the, the throwing, suplexing. Kyoku, mm -hmm. meaning submission. Striking and suplexing and submissions. Oh my gosh. That sounds like MMA, you know, 20 years later, right? Mm. Did it feel uh, like it was more dangerous at the time? Like, uh, wow, what, what is, uh, what's going to gonna make, happen? To make wrestling into legitimate contests was the whole idea. It was still pro wrestling, I believe. Yeah. And they will never admit to it, you know, because mm. they were making professional wrestling. I mean, the, their idea of professional wrestling, you know, no bouncing off the rope, no big chair shots, not even drop kick, no fighting outside the ring. You do that in the ring and no nonsense. You just gonna, you know, wrestle. Either you strike, kick or you do the suplexing and at the end of the night you make somebody submit to your all kinds of car guide submissions does that make sense and a lot of the wrestling at this time in the mid 80s it was very common to see the non-finish finish the double count out the <laughs> no winners just uh, yeah. extending the uh, program for another card and i think you're talking like a Fujinami against Ricky Choshu? Something or, like that. Or, or even Inoki against Bruiser Brody. That they had, what, the six, seven single match 
with no finish whatsoever. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Or on the other side, too, Stan Hansen, Jumbo Tsura, Tenru, they had double count out, double DQs. You know? oh, all Japan did so many around that time. Yeah, okay. that's also disappointing, huh? Mm. So it is good to have clean finish, huh? It's satisfying <laughs> to some fans. I think maybe, do you think fans were hungry for a uh, more definitive uh, product? Like, yeah, or well, you want to see the loser. outcome. Yeah. Or conclusive something, I mean, conclusion of the whole story or drama. Mm. Yeah. But they, I don't know if they really used it, but the, to make wrestling, professional wrestling into more of MMA-ish, not completely into MMA, but like if you really fought in that ring, this is how it's supposed to look. You know what I'm it saying? It's supposed to be a more, uh, more realistic version of what they're going to do. No, yeah, like yeah, you said, yeah. like no bouncing off the ropes, no high no, flying. No, they didn't do that. No high flying. Nothing off the top rope. Not even drop kick. Yeah. So I guess but, it was uh, it was going away from the idea of entertaining the audience to but it became the very audience. entertaining. Mm. Only well, only those seven guys could do it, probably, huh? You think so? <laughs> that core? Because uh, there were a lot of uh, uh, wrestlers yeah, like, and non wrestlers uh, that came through. Oh, and also that version of uh, that version of the first original UWF had a Dean Malenko, mm -hmm. uh, Joe Malenko. Uh, Pat McGee, who was Scott McGee, uh, quite a few Florida guys, you know, who met the guys who you know trained under Carl Gotch, yeah, they came over and were able to do that, yeah, mm. yeah. So they kept pushing forward, and eventually, they, they I think it was around '88, was when they had the first uh, kind of the UWF card where they, they were more established, they reestablished, they got back uh, together. Actually, you fast forwarded too far. <laughs> too far, okay, well, I, a couple of years, so. <laughs> okay, within, okay, in the course of 1985, this original, very original version of UWF was, you know, active, you know, um, all through 1985. But uh, I guess the audience or the market or the business wasn't ready for this company yet. At this point, mm. then they ran out of money and they um, they stopped running show at the end of 1985. OK, mm. and by then, Satoru Sayama himself had this vision of making in his own new sport called Shuto. Uh, That's, that see. still exists today, right? Mm -hmm. Shuto. <clears throat> that came from shoot in wrestling terminology, shoot. But uh, he made it into kanji. You know, the adopted kanji character into Shuto. Mm. I mean, put a little O on at the end. Shuto. Then he came up with this, the, the, the whole new rule book and the whole thing. And he realized that the, he has to start from scratch. And uh, it was amateur first. So, it, so therefore, the beginning of Shuto. That exists even today, right? Mm -hmm. And Sayama basically quit professional wrestling that year. And uh, walked away from UWF too. And five remaining guys, you know, like Maeda, Takada, Yamazaki, Fujiwara, and Kido, Osamu Kido. Five guys with suit and tie showed up at the very last show of New Japan's 1985 at the Sumo Palace. That uh, they signed the deal to go back to New Japan as UWF. Hey, combat sports fans, if you're a Facebook user, check out our Facebook group. 
There are daily discussions relating to pro wrestling, MMA, and boxing. And to be honest, we can use more MMA and boxing fans. We have two rules and two rules only. No hate speech and no trolling. Thus, as you can imagine, it's one of the better places to talk combat sports on the internet. The link is in the show notes. Does that make sense? Is that where we got those uh, kind of famous 10-man tag team matches? Uh, New oh, Japan? that 86, 87, yes. Mm, so yeah. it, it was uh, it was more uh, their style being incorporated into the New Japan umbrella. Yeah, because they weren't going to go back to bouncing up off the ropes and doing drop kicks and doing traditional pro wrestling. And, and I believe Inoki wanted it that way, that they developed their own style. The following January, January 1985, 86, there was Sumo Palace main event. Anthony Inoki against Yoshiaki Fujiwara. New Japan style against UWF style. They, that happened. Then Inoki beat Fujiwara with this killer sleeper hold, put him in sleep. Then Maeda run, you know, run into the ring and give this biggest high kick to Inoki's jaw. Hmm. Therefore, the beginning of that program. Maeda's kicks got him into trouble later, but that's a little... <laughs> yeah, but uh, that, this, his UWF image and more legitimate contest in the whole w, I mean, UWF movement, these guys are going to make professional wrestling legitimate contest. Real. Sport. Real. Yeah. Yeah. And the New Japan is like, wait, you know, we got to do that all to every single one of you. Right, ah. and like in spring, there was a one more Inoki Fujiwara in Osaka, and the double main event, Akira Maeda against Tatsumi Fujinami. You know, Tatsumi Fujinami, Tatsumi Fujinami in receiving end. You work like New Japan, and Maeda work like UWF, and then Maeda this does this uh, the vertical spin kick and corner, then then just. My that uh, Fujinami just gashes his forehead like a blood flying all over the place and just a double knockdown and the whole thing. But it was like it proved that yeah, New Japan style and UWF style clashed, and Maeda basically proved that point that what what they do is real. How's that? It must have really excited or or stimulated. A oh, lot of then that, that by night. Like, UWF started the movement in 1984, and all through 1985, they did their own show, but they ran out of business, and back to New Japan as UWF. So, 86, all through the year, you had this New Japan against UWF. That made UWF even more famous and special. And uh, fall or summer, you have to look it up, but uh, there was one big Inoki live that uh, Inoki against Leon Spinks. Martial arts fight, right? Mm -hmm. And double main event, Ma Akira Maeda against Dan Nakaya Nielsen, then kickboxing heavyweight champion from Las Vegas. Famous match. He just passed away a couple of years ago. Right, right. After he retired, he moved to Thailand and became chiropractor or something. But that made him like a wrestling superstar too as well. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Overnight. Yeah. Dan Nakaya Nielsen against Akira Maeda. It was a big, big, you know, I mean, like a historical match, right? And Very I believe it was, exciting, yeah. What even was going still, wild? Still pro wrestling, though. Right, right. It was viewed like pro as, wrestling. 
some people still believe it was pro wrestling. Therefore, you have exit. See, another thing, UWF people or their affiliates and friends and believers, or like a know at all, like wrestling type people, you know, in wrestling terminology, it's finished, right? Finish. Mm-hmm. If it's UWF, and when they had to, they had exit. <laughs> ah, okay, exit. They never used the word finish. When they had to, they had to create the exit. Let's remember that. Exit, exit moment or something. Okay, it's, it's a very <laughs> like interesting you need the exit from the building, you know, from mm. the fire, you know, or something. So I think I that that the term exit was so brilliant, you know. It's a very, it's more uh, evidence of the these maybe seven guys really wanting to break away from the and the protect and pr- still protect what the business, what they felt the business was, right? But also, yeah, but it's it not New that, Japan. Uh, uh, yeah, so it's like a 1980s in- interpretation, but the, what they were doing was like what Frank Gotch was doing in 1900s, huh? Don't you think? Yeah, it seems like it's uh, actually more traditional than what was happening in without New realizing, Japan. Oh, without realizing, yeah. yeah, that the 1890s there was you know he was there was a guy William Muldoon, the father of American professional wrestling, right, mm-hmm. in New York, William Muldoon. They I believe they were work already, you know. Over the, as far as back 1920s in France, Paris, professional wrestling, the core audience and the core of wrestlers that they only knew each other's work, you know, like a really close society. That's professional wrestling. They must have finished, right? And 1890s, William Muldoon must have finished, but they never told people. In 1900, Frank Gotch against George Hackenschmidt, 1908-1911, they were professional wrestling, right? Therefore, they must have finished. But it was like, that was then. So I think going back to, I mean, you, what UWF was doing in, in mid to nine, you know, late 80s, it was like going back about a century, you know? It's looking uh, back to go forward. Kind of idea. <laughs> Something that's why it's so fascinating, you know, and that's what Inoki wanted in the first place. It's ironic because isn't uh, it though? Yeah. yeah, it's what what those guys didn't want was actually what Inoki wanted, and, and he would pursue <laughs> that actually even later, right? And Twenty yeah. years later, he would yeah, but chase that uh, dragon. But the 1986 version of Antonio Inoki in reality was like already uh, past forty. And just his body breaking down, and just the, the, the very big show that I, we just talked about, Antonio Inoki against Leon Spinks, it wasn't much at all. You know what I'm saying? Mm. It's, it doesn't even sound good on paper, right? It's, I don't know where Spinks was at his career at that point. I think it it, it wasn't like Ali Inoki at all. Oh it was no, much different. Na, Ali uh, Inoki, 1986. Ten years later, Inoki's ten years older, and Leon Spinks. You don't know where they found them, you know, and uh, <laughs> yeah, but they put it together and it was not good at all. And what saved that night was Akira Maeda against Dan Nakaya Nielsen, like the closest thing to your MMA pro wrestling match. It was exciting. You should, I mean, people should go back to 
you know, the old tape or something. Dan Nakaya Niyosen against Akira Maeda. That night, Maeda really became the, like, the biggest star of that era. Yeah, unfortunately, I think people associate Maeda either with rings or there's more unfortunately with the kick to Choshu's face. But it's really <laughs> that match with Don. Maeda, was... But Maeda's direction was clear that the, he wasn't going to be a traditional progressing superstar. He wanted to move away from it. He know? was v- the most stubborn of the group, I think. He was very, uh, he, he, oh, he was knew saying he he's wanted. not a part. Yeah, exactly. He and really knew. Legitimate 6'4", real tall, ex-karate fighter, you know? And uh, right out of high school, joined New Japan Pro Wrestling. He wasn't even wrestling fan growing up. He was told that uh, join New Japan right out of high school and debut as pro wrestler and then spend time. And then they were going to send him to America to open karate school. Hmm. You know, like America, I mean... You, you know, you go to America as a Japanese karate fighter and uh, you open karate in a dojo in New York City or something. That what he, he was promised at the beginning. Hmm. And okay, especially, great. Yeah. Especially at that time, it was getting really martial arts uh, movies or very hot uh, kind of uh, trend at the time was. Yeah. Karate and- or yeah, all kinds of film. Yeah. And. Uh, but he spent time, you know, you know, there was a couple of years that Akira Maeda himself carried Anthony Inok's bag, you know, mm. suitcases, you know, everybody did, took routine. Fujiwara did that, Takara did that, even people like Masa Chono did that, you know, there's a Tsukibito, right? And mm-hmm. superstar wrestler that you carry their suitcase, you know, and then take care of them, you know, all these things. But Maeda was like Inoki children too just like Fujiwara was. But this is like a so complex issue there, you know, that uh, Inoki is like a father figure, but also somebody he really has to walk away from to be his, himself. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? And it's funny how it turned out. Like we said, Inoki would chase that idea of realness, but Maida actually would eventually take what he was doing and, and eventually go even farther away from pro wrestling with rings and it, it became yeah, MMA. that's why it sounded like a godfather story <laughs> you know yeah very much so very, yeah, it's, don't very, you it's very dramatic yeah 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 but it, it takes time you wouldn't be able to do it when you were 25 26 it takes like a decade of work my dad couldn't have done it in new japan you know under new japan umbrella he had to go back and do the uwf the uw has a split he has to start the rings. Then rings is a place where they discovered people like uh, um, uh, Feder Emilienko or mm. you know Oflame from you know that all these you know people from non-English speaking world and put him in the ring as a ring under the same rings. That therefore they became MMA, you know. And by then, Maeda was beaten down as a, a you know as a fighter, and he was great producer. But it wasn't his time anymore as a fighter. Isn't that ironic? Yeah, he, he had his last But well, I guess we, we fast forwarded too far. You know? Yeah, because Maeda is somebody who's really important, but I think it takes time to really, he has a lot yeah. to, we would have and, to unpack uh, a lot. And the kick yeah. to the face happens the following year. Yes. 19, as of 1987, 
Inoki's crew of you know New Japan that uh, roster that the uh, original New Japan roster and UWF dressing room right and American wrestler dressing room that's a three different dressing room and spring of 1987 Ricky Choshu and his guys 10 of them all came back from all Japan after Japan pro wrestling uh, right right their invasion on the other right. side on the other side, that the Ricky Choshu and his guys, like you know, uh, Kuniaki Kobayashi, the uh, Yatsu, Khan didn't come back. Yatsu didn't come back. Oh, but, that's uh, right, he stayed, right. he stayed, he stayed with all Japan. But you have your strong machine, the uh, then rookie Kensuke Sasaki, the Hiroshi Hase, then rookie, and of course, that uh, your you know, senior Masa Saito from Minnesota, you know, mm. they all joined back. Isn't that dramatic or what, you know? Or and, uh, people like Norio Honaga, you know? Yeah. A lot of people uh, look at that as like the kind of early idea of a NWO invasion sort of angle. It's not the same. But NWO it, was took from this angle. Mm, of course, NWO stuck with more of a pro wrestling approach. They didn't Yeah, but the to think about this, you know, in the spring, spring of 1987, New Japan roster like Inoki, the Fujinami, the Kengo Kimura, the you know Cobra, George Takano, the, all these Koshinaka, all these guys like you got twenty guys. Then there's the UWF, Maeda, Takada, Fujiwara, and they would still do their style within within New Japan ring, right? Mm. Then you still have this American crew like Andrew the Giant, the the, the Dick Murdoch, the, you know this strong American roster within new japan then you have ricky choshu's 10 12 guys just like oh my oh my god it's like a huge roster once again new japan of 1987 then there was that the fall of november of 1987 ricky choshu's trio his guys trio against uwf trio guy some tag team in at the korakin that infamous shoot kick to the face of ricky choshu happened so can you set this up? It was in a, like a tag team match. It was, yeah. uh, we had Choshu's guys versus UWF guys. Very, and it, I think at, the, at this time, the crowd was pretty, you know, out of their minds. They loved what was going on. There was a lot of exciting, yeah, and then different wrestling. Clash of styles too, right? Yeah, rest, uh, amateur wrestling versus, uh, you know, more martial arts style. Even though we see today in MMA. It's kind more of, like a traditional pro wrestling against UWF style though. Right, in that context. Maeda wasn't going to stand and take Ricky Choshu's American clothesline. Mm. You know what I'm saying? He, he wasn't going to... Um, uh, what, 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 they're not going to work together. He's going to be himself. What was interesting, though, those real awkward you know, clashes of style made New Japan look a lot more real, too. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's like almost strange way of enjoying it, you know? Kind of like you don't know what to expect. <laughs> yeah, so some people didn't like it. It's like, I want to see like a really like a stress-free New Japan Fujinami against Ricky Choshu that uh, feel good match, right? Yeah, and uh, the, the UWF style is not, it's not concerned with entertaining people. But That's it not the first ended concern, up being you know? pretty entertaining too, you know? Right, that, right. Uh, that, uh, right, because wrestling fans became a little bit more 
educated and advanced at that point in time too because you toss your guy into the rope you if you don't want to you wouldn't come back huh it's like until up, up until that point in time it wasn't even an issue wasn't it like didn't didn't your like a, your neighbor or some school i mean high school friend tell you before that, that why would wrestler throw your opponent into the rope and they come right back like it's so fake right sure why they jump off why they <laughs> climb to the top rope and jump off and why would the opponent wait for you you know right yeah exactly and those are the things that the non-wrestling fan use as a proof that the, what they're saying is right that they're all oh, wrestling is so fake right no it's not you know because, <laughs> you know we've been defending professional wrestling all our lives mm. <laughs> And Pretty I think though, uh, it seems like more casual, like you said, the, the fans that want to see, they want to relax. They want to escape from salaryman life. They want yeah, some entertainment. Studying or in school or just all, all kinds of stress, you know, yeah, what the yeah. wrestling is for. But uh, you, the style clash and also New Japan, uh, UWF and American tough guy like Dick Murdoch, those confrontations really prove the point, right? If you don't want to, they wouldn't come back right at you from the bouncing off the ropes. You know, you should go back and see single match between Akira Maeda against Dick Murdoch. It was kind of funny, entertaining wrestling match, and that can happen without bouncing off the rope. The match was still good. Does that make sense? Yeah, but it was a little bit, it was more challenging than what we oh, were. Oh, very challenging. Very to the, challenging. To the fans, to the fans. Yeah, yeah, but the Tokyo audience is, uh, they are basically so reading oriented people. And they watch all the matches, all the videos are available. And they read everything, watch everything. So they just almost have to keep up with them, you know? And that uh, Maeda wasn't going to go back to your traditional wrestling style. But time to time, he did. Can you imagine 1987, Kerry Von Eric against Akira Maeda? That happened. How was that? How did that look? <laughs> I was there. Oh, yeah. Well, wow. Rick, so then, uh, Maeda, the... Akira Maeda, you know, had this side headlock on Kerry Von Eric, right? Standing. Mm -hmm. Of course. Kerry Von Erico pushes, you know, back to toss him into the rope, right? Maeda right. did right, you know, run to the rope and did come back after the rope only to give him big shoulder block. Boom. Mm. So it's like, it didn't hurt. I mean, like, right. That was it, huh? It's like, so it's kind of like, almost like everything was like finding what, what if, what can happen, you know? It's like, it was really different point in the time, you know. Then in the middle of this, you know, uh, six months of, you know, clash of styles and all these philosophy thing that Maeda uh, chose shoes, kicking in the face confrontation really happened. And probably it had to happen. It's such a bad thing in wrestling, kick somebody in the face from behind. It's like an almost cowardly attack. Bad, right? It's but, real, uh, uh, yeah, breaking the codes. Yeah, but sooner or later, something was going to break, you know? Yeah, yeah. And evidently, 
uh, Akira Maeda was suspended right after the match and, and eventually was fired from New Japan Pro Wrestling. I mean, yeah, for legit. Yeah, legit. He really injured uh, Choshu's face. He broke his orbital bone. Yeah, yeah. And But the funny thing is, though, Ricky Choshu was the first one to tell people that don't blame him and I forgive him. Is that why, interesting? Why did he say that? They were you know, wrestlers are brothers, right? So you he know? forgave Maeda. He wasn't, it wasn't a, a there wasn't a kind of a feud that lasted forever. It was kind of squashed after it happened. Again, that's why it's, it looks so much like the Godfather part two. Ah. Does that like, sound like it? Like the brothers, like uh, like Fredo and... Uh, yeah, and then something happens and something bad takes place and probably like somebody really get hurt. But we're still brothers, right? Like, uh, oh, wow. So I always had to use this Godfather reference, you know, because it's easy to understand, huh? It makes sense in the context of like a family, especially if yeah. Inoki's the dad. Yeah, right. Asian dad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, and he has lots of kids. It was different ideas. The kids with different ideas. They Very all have to be king ideas. too. You know, to form your own family, you have to leave that family to start your own family too. And, and Very then, godfather, huh? And we saw that, you know, it first happened in the mid-80s and then it continued to happen into even more, it splintered even more later on. Yeah, but uh, that confrontation had... Akira Maeda actually fired from New Japan. Therefore, the second incarnation of UWF starts in spring of 1988. Okay. That, yeah. That's where I fast forwarded to earlier. Yeah, 1988. The second version of, but independent UWF happens. Maeda, of course. Takada, you know, Nobuhiko Takada joins. Kazuo Yamazaki, of course, joins. And young Yuko Miyato, Young Nakano, Young Anjo, they all join. By and the way, this, yeah, uh, the Yuko Miyato is the one who does uh, Snake Pit today. That's right. He does yeah. Snake Pit in Koenji. In, in, in Koenji, Tokyo. yeah, a friend of mine. Yeah, he still and, does that to this day. And he and still is, trains wrestlers. You told me this is so impressive. He is just a genius cook. Yeah, yeah. You know why? Because in UWF days, you know, he was at the dojo doing chancos. So he's he's had lots of experience making uh, making chanko for the all of these guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From from Inoki in the, to to to. Oh, from uh, basically UWF debut. So uh, uh, Maeda, Takada, Fujiwara, Yamazaki, uh, those people. Yeah. And that, that that's even the the other generation that would kind of bloom in the nineties. Right, right. Especially Anjo. Anjo, of course, UWFI, he was mm. one of the key guys, too. Yes. So was Miyato, too. And mm. this, this version of, you know, UWF portion becomes UWFI in, in 1991. See, this second version of UWF was so popular, you know. And Fujiwara joins later, uh, that the year later, in 89. In 89, uh, coming back from Europe, Masakatsu Funaki didn't go back to New Japan. He joined UWF. And young Minoru Suzuki quits New Japan and joins UWF. And this is like a, this is the strongest crew of UWF become 89, 90, you know, this real strong version of UWF. They were running shows at the 
Ariake, you know, stadium, that the Osaka stadium, every show was at the Budokan, every show was at the Yokohama Arena. Uh, they only ran house the whole like 18,000 people. Mm, they were Once very, a month. it oh, really, God. it looked, especially with this younger generation, these guys looked different. They looked really cool. They were bringing a new, uh, uh, Approach. And when they had this like uniform, like you're kicking, you know, kicking kick pads. pads. Yeah, yeah. And, and short uh, trunks. Short trunks and matching color, matching color knee pads. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, oh yeah, like a top to bottom. That's that's your UWF. Either it's yellow, 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 or mint green, 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 or black, 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 or sometimes different color, red, 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 and uh, it just they had this UWF style. And yeah, they, we saw more of the black trunks in New Japan. It was the, the, the even yeah, more yeah. fundamental. Yeah, so. and my minus kicking pad though, because right, actually, right. the original Tiger Mask Satoru Sayama introduced it. You know, therefore okay. the early Shuto people was they were wearing the kicking pad too. And now the Akira Maeda, Takada, Yamazaki, Funaki, Suzuki, Miyato, Anjo, Nakano, they all were kicking pads. And now today, every other wrestler is wearing kick pads. You know? American, uh, I mean Seth Rollins, that uh, you the know, Miz. Kevin Owens, uh, you know, yeah, guys uh, who don't even Daniel, really use kicks, yeah, like Brian Danielson. Oh my mm. gosh, yeah, or actually Chris Jericho too. Of course, <laughs> so it's a culture, you know. Mm. Uh, but it came from these guys. Yeah. I, yeah. We could talk about this all night long, and you know what? It's we, we really have we've we're at 1988, so let, let's stop there because I think we can start at the second stage UWF. The, you know the starting okay, over yeah. shows. Okay, yeah, 1988. That the, what we call this, what we call it, second version, second reincarnation of U UWF. But that was the peak of UWF movement. Mm. And it's then where... split into Fujiwaragumi, UWFI, and the rings, and eventually Pancras, and all these things. We have to cover that next time. Yeah, it's Woo! it's the the younger generation who they were there, but they were developing under Maeda and Fujiwara and and Sayama and who even uh, and, and Sayama's gone. That's Nobuhiko Takada. Oh right, because there's Shuto as well. Yeah, but, so it's uh, already split. So it's really complicated layers and layers of issue. They all had the same thing in mind: make wrestling into legitimate sport, believable sport. And we get some more Carl Gotch again. He helps these guys. He's the still God a part of, of this. The God, he, yeah, of there's course. a reason for that. Yeah. Yeah. And what Inoki wanted in the first place back in 1972. Which he wasn't exactly achieving at this point with New Japan, which it's so uh, there's. Yeah, but uh, there was a program 48, then 48 year old Korogach, like at the end of his active wrestling career against 32 year old Antonio Inoki single match. I was there. <laughs> you know, yeah. Mm. I mean, it was the greatest wrestling match I've seen at the time. But what do I know? I was fourth grade, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but we can talk about that, yeah, next time. Okay, so that's on the agenda for next time. So we, 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 I think we covered a lot, but still, there's a lot more to cover. So oh, I'm, I'm really excited to part to one. This was this. only part one. Yes. UWF is a big, big theme mm. to understand big picture of Japanese pro wrestling as a whole. Japanese pro wrestling and mixed martial arts today, and right, that too, yeah. Even um, even U.S. and North American pro wrestling too. There's these of guys course. have their their Influence. fingerprints are on everything. Yeah, yeah. Their DNA is in everything. 
Oh, I can see that. And that was what Frank Gotch was trying to do back in 1900, huh, probably. Mm. Oh my gosh, we got a lot of, lot of ground to cover. Yes, we have to get our <laughs> notebooks out and we have to write everything down. Absolutely. This well, is I'm excited. Fun. And uh, yes. yeah, because we, 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 ex we are experiencing to this day. Yeah, even so. And there's always those, you know, uh, throwbacks or returns to this style. Look at Josh Barnett's Bloodsport. Oh, of course. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. This and is uh, something that came from these guys. Changed Ken Shamrock's life or something like that, right? Of course, yeah. Or, or yeah. wrestlers that just, uh, they commit to this, you know, this style, philosophy yeah. or style, right? Yeah. Yeah, it changed Ken Shamrock, but made him superstar too, but changed his life so, so drastically. Dan Severn you know? too. Um, oh, Dan Severn, yeah. Or, or, All these people. And we'll eventually get to, you know, the Gracies in the 90s. Right. And Their Gracie connection to pro became wrestling. famous by fighting pro wrestler. Yes, you know, despite what yeah, they Ho say. Hoist Gracie against Ken Shamrock made UFC famous, right? Mm. The original UFC. But it was Not Hickson that, yeah. Gracie who made it popular in Japan. That too. Yeah, but always fighting wrestlers. Not MMA fighter, mm. but the Gracie against pro wrestler. That, that was so exciting, you know. But it wasn't Takada. It was you had to wait until the rise of Sakuraba. Mr. Sakuraba, yes, oh. and who would and bring Sakuraba? Yeah. And he would bring that uh, that philosophy of pro wrestling. This is pro wrestling, and they are stronger than any. I mean, look at is it, pro wrestlers are the best. Then mm. the year 2000, 2001 audience really believed it. Oh God, good, good. You know? And uh, huge shows at the Tokyo Dome. Oh, huge. And it was the peak year of Katsushi Sakuraba and Yoshihiro Takeyama. Oh, wow. Yeah. Remember? The, oh, yeah. yeah. So we got to go back. We have to have part two and part three. And maybe part four. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll take it day, day well, not day by day, but episode by episode. So, yeah. But this was a very beginning uh, part one and hope people mm. liked it. Yeah. And if anybody has questions, where can they find you on Twitter, Fumisa? Uh, Fumihiko Dayo, F-U-M-I-H-I-K-O-D-A-Y-O, Fumihiko Dayo on Twitter, or just Fumi Saito on Facebook. Please message me first. Mm. And I'm at Justin M. Nipper, K-N-I-P-P-E-R, on Twitter. You can reach me there or on Patreon, on the, on the comments, on the website. No worries, no problem. So, for Until Fumi, then, yes. So long from Tokyo. I write that down. I write that down. I write that down. I write that down.